0: This is The Fourth Revolution by Bartel, a podcast on the technology driving change in manufacturing. Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Fourth Revolution, a podcast by Bartel. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. It's great to be back behind the mic and talking manufacturing. So today, we're having a spiritual successor of a conversation to our podcast with Randy Wolken at MACNE. And on that podcast, we broke down the reality of the manufacturing industry. And that reality is that there is a labor shortage. Unemployment is down and jobs are growing alongside Industry 4.0, but these jobs are staying vacant. With Randy, we explained how baby boomer retirement mixed with changing skill sets are some of the main reasons for this shortage, along with a general lack of education around the opportunities and realities of a career in manufacturing. Today, we're digging for the solutions. I'd like to welcome Greg Barnett, Senior Vice President of Science at the Predictive Index. Greg, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm great Daniel, thanks for having me absolutely it's a, It's a pleasure to have you on. Um, and you know really, this conversation has been at the forefront of conversations in a lot of b2 b AEC uh, you know architecture manufacturing podcasts because the impact is really hard to ignore. Um, There's a study that came out recently, Um, Deloitte and the Manufacturing Institute partnered and published some findings after a skills gap study, it was actually their fourth skills gap study that they put together, and they found that by 2025, we'll have 2 million unfilled manufacturing positions, which is putting $2.5 trillion in manufacturing GDP in question. So based on your experience, um, you know, spending time interacting with companies in manufacturing, are these numbers circulating among professionals? Uh, You know, is it raising tensions? Are people talking about this, this labor shortage pretty actively?
1: Yeah, Daniel, they, they really are. I mean, they didn't need this study. I think yeah, uh, yeah. what I find is most people are feeling it. They're feeling it in their pipelines, they're they're seeing it in their in their ability to be productive because they they can't fill certain roles. And and so it's it's not just the numbers, but the feeling is strong and uh, and it's and it's concerning and, and there's a lot of worry out there about what what comes next, how how do you tackle this?
0: Yeah, I mean you're right. They probably didn't need the study. I mean they're the ones feeling it every day. Um, but you know, I think when you when you contextualize it around some numbers, um, it might put it into perspective for some some decision makers uh, to really see. Wow, you know, yeah, we, we know we've felt it on a personal level, but industry wide, I mean it could it could really affect the industry's ability to stay ahead of Industry 4.0 and to adapt alongside it um, productively uh, if they don't really get a a hold on this issue.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I think that when you see the the grandeur of the study and, and what it suggests, um, it's, you know, sometimes when you're in the talent world and you're thinking about staffing, there's acute problems, which are those things that, you know, it's hard to find a certain role or fill a certain position, but when you see these numbers, it, it shows that it's really a chronic problem and it's something that it needs a, a much deeper uh, set of actions and treatments to get better. And it also, I mean, creates some, some fear and some worry. Uh, You know, there, there are other industries that, that base these types of things. And, you know, I think of things like the, you know, where the newspaper industry, for example, I, you know, there were a lot of people in that world and, and they started seeing that there was a new skill set needed to be in the media business and it had to do with the internet. And before you knew it, you know, newspapers have, have, have lost steam and disappeared. And I, I think you know, these types of things go beyond just the, the worries about the staffing. It's what's the longevity of our businesses if, if we can't get people to do these jobs. Right.
0: Yeah. I mean, it really goes back to this idea that no industry or no market is safe. Uh, any technological innovation or change in consumer habits or something could. Influence an industry to absolutely have to completely readapt uh, and completely change what it is they're they're manufacturing, they're creating, or they're delivering to the market. Um, so yeah, no, one, not to be glum, but uh, no one is safe. So it's a reality in today's economy. Um, but you know there are positives because. It, it isn't all bleak. You know, there are solutions and there are actionable things that the industry can do as a whole, um, but also that individual companies can do to try and come out of this labor shortage on top and stay, um, stay fresh and stay predictive and proactive as a company. So, of the main reasons I mentioned earlier, um, the big ones were that baby boomers are retiring out of these manufacturing positions. We're also seeing changing skill sets as um, more manufacturing positions require an ability to handle data, basically. Um, you know, computer science is basically a, a, a prerequisite now to enter a lot of these manufacturing positions. Um, and then, same with this. This general lack of education around the opportunities and realities of a career in manufacturing of those main three points, which of those do you think is the hardest to combat as an industry? so I, I think that
1: right now it it's it's the image. It's the feeling that um you know, in a world where you see, the uh, the tech companies and you hear about these uh, fast moving agile uh, you know entities out there that um, a lot of people looking for their their careers just um, it's like an industry image issue and I feel like that is really one of the the biggest challenges I think there are people out there with uh, computer skills and and there's ways to learn those things but they're not lo- thinking about putting them to work and using them. Uh, for good, in for example, manufacturing, so there's sort of this image that keeps people from considering that in the first place, which keeps them off of, uh, you know, actively looking for some of these roles and, um, you know, not being able to replace the boomers that are retiring by bringing in, uh, you know, younger generation or a different generation. Uh, again, comes down to this um, general image. Uh, that 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 these roles or that these companies stand for, uh, in contrast to uh, a lot of what you see in the economy today,
0: which is frustrating because these jobs have um, you know a, a lot of security and especially now that the skill sets are changing and they're adapting to be an integral part of Industry 4.0 and part of this digital transformation that's affecting our economy, there is a lot of demand. Um, I mean, yeah, we have a a literal labor shortage, but we don't have a job shortage to go along with it. There's actually a ton of open jobs. So, you know, the the industry is craving talent. um, And yeah, I I think you're right. I think it's a shame that there is a general misconception around what a career in manufacturing looks like. Um, And I think that is deterring a lot of young talent from wanting to explore, um, you know, a, a more evolved career path in manufacturing, they end up turning somewhere else. Yeah, I mean I've
1: I've spent some time on in in various companies in their on their manufacturing line and we know walking into these rooms that are ultra clean, filled with computers and robots, working at you know a level of efficiency that's absolutely amazing. It's like a it's like a big video game almost when you right. walk inside. And yet, you know, I still think a lot of the image those images show up from time to time, but it just, it doesn't, doesn't, the people aren't connecting that that's, a, you know, the real future is a lot of that. And there's a lot of opportunity there, but I, I don't, you know, I, I've been lucky enough to see some of these uh, examples and, and been kind of wowed by them, but I don't think that it's quite as, as broad, uh, you know, people aren't seeing it as, as much as I've gotten the chance to do, for example. Mm-hmm.
0: And then of those three challenges we mentioned, which do you think is the easiest to combat for the industry as a whole? I believe that,
1: you know, teaching people skills is where the easiest area is to combat. I mean, nowadays, the availability of, of, of learning both online and in different formats is, is plentiful. Um, I think that you can hire great people who can learn fast, who are going to be motivated and great workers, uh, and it's really about giving them the tools to learn. And in fact, in most studies, it shows that people really like to learn. I mean, they want to grow, they want to develop. And so I think tapping into that uh, skill development um, and finding avenues to get people um, you know, in the game, involved, uh, learning, giving them those new opportunities to grow with these skills is, is something that a lot of companies can do I wouldn't say easily, but it's it's definitely uh, the least tension spot to go at it.
0: But who really has the the burden of responsibility um, for creating those educational opportunities? You know, does it fall back to primary or secondary uh, education, like as early as middle school or high school, for some of these younger students? Does it fall to um, you know, the higher education institutions to promote these careers, um, you know, in a more focused manner? Does it fall to the employers? You know, does it fall to organizations within the industry to create their own opportunities for certification and professional development? Uh, you know, what, what's your opinion? Who really needs to take charge of this educational, um, this educational drive?
1: Yeah, I think if we talk about education, especially college and some of the, the later opportunities, that would be a more important place for the, you know, the industry to make sure that people are connecting what they're learning with the potential for what they could do in, in the industry. Um, but I, I think that the the organizations and the industry as a whole, um have a real opportunity to create uh, the type of um, learning environment, the type of learning tools, uh, the certifications that you speak of, in a way that is potentially linked to how you know you can have a really successful career. So, for example, I mean, just outside the box, why is there not a uh, industry, you know, manufacturing industry learning? Uh, they uh, set up that's completely free, that is uh, kind of multiple classes. I mean, you see the the uh, online free classes everywhere. Why not develop a really rich curriculum uh, at- as an org, you know, as an industry group that can get people certified and experienced in everything, with the promise of, uh, you know, a little bit of a uh, marketing about the way in which the career that if you do this, you there's great salary, there's great opportunity, there's great growth. So I really think that the that the industry itself and the organizations in it have to come together, um, you know, to to find ways to make this accessible, this kind of skill development, but also do so in a way that. Really points to why the benefits of this—that it has a uh, real upside and that it's easy to get in—and so you can get people who maybe aren't your traditional, um, you know, your traditional hires, people that are maybe changing careers, people that are come out of college and are are wondering what they're really going to do to to see that there's a, a real path, but there's also a real set of tangible steps and learnings that they can take to to become quite competent and, and then, and, and get themselves. And, and again, the direction of, um, you know, why being competent is going to lead to something really great for them in their careers and financially and and so forth. So, um, you know, as an organization itself, I think it is a little more challenging. You can offer these things, uh, to, to hires. And we may talk about this later, but, uh, you know, I, I think this is where you, you focus on, can you hire for talent? So, um, being able to learn fast, adapt, uh, you know, lead people, um, but give them the training when they get on board. You know, that's where I think an organization is more responsible. But as, as a greater issue, I think that there's there's a real opportunity to, to create a, a force that is come here, learn this, get certified. And now all our organizations that are manufacturing recognize it and, and are now looking for it and can show you that path to success, whatever success is for people.
0: So these three issues we were just talking on, naturally, they're more external, or at least just structural, industry pressures. Um, You know, they're not really individualized to each company. But where you work at Predictive Index, your stance is that often with these kinds of industry-wide issues, the solution may lie internally, with the business that you do you don't always have to tackle it from an industry wide point of view and you know try to fix it for everyone. What do you really mean by uh, you know trying to find a solution internally for some of these larger structural issues within an industry?
1: Yeah, you know, I I really think it's about in these larger industry situations that there are plenty of companies that can be the diamonds in the rough or or can stand out and can really establish a brand and an environment and a culture that can be really successful and and can can um, buck these trends. And we, when we talk about it, we really talk about taking a talent optimization approach to, to what you're doing. And, and that is, as a company, it it's it's takes some, some deep breaths and some, and some hard work and discipline, but it's first starting off and, and just identifying, okay, as a company, what is our strategy? And you know, what is the talent that we need to reach that strategy? So it's starting at understanding what's your business strategy. Are you innovating? Are you trying to create uh, high efficiencies? Are, are you trying to you know, get your product out to the world and, and penetrate markets further? And then what does that mean about who you need on board? And you, you sort of start there because if you don't have the right leaders on, on board, for the mission, for the strategy, you, you know, everything that comes after that's unlikely to, to be successful. So it, it really starts about being thoughtful and, and disciplined about what is our talent, uh, what is our business strategy, and what is the talent that we need to build, the teams we need to build to accomplish it. Um, once you're in that kind of zone, you start to un- unleash the next steps, which are, let's take a look inside and diagnose what's going on in our organization. So what makes us unique? Um, what makes us, what are we doing really well? And where do we have challenges? And so when you think about that, what you're saying is, is what, we do really well. What? Could, how can we leverage that and make that our a stronger part of our culture, a, a stronger part of our employment brand? You know, is it our transparency? Is it our opportunity to grow people? You know, we really need to harness those things and and make those things more about who we are and stand tall and and loud and and make that our megaphone. And you can see when that works in places like Glassdoor, where companies have really linked into what they do best and the people that they start to. You know, start to hire. They start looking for people that are going to find those that are going to come into those cultures and are going to flourish because it's it's something that motivates them and engages them, and it's something the company does well. And at the same time, you gotta you know make sure you're you're taking care of your your home. You've you've got to clean, clean up the problems. You can't just uh, leave things that are 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 ugly and and hope they go away. You've you've got to take control of your your culture and. And make sure that you you get the things working that are, are that are broken. So in the end, I, I really think that companies have a chance to sort of go in and and think about their strategy, think about their talent, find out what they do best, and then and and really make that a part of their brand. But at the same time, fixing what's going on so they can improve retention, improve productivity at the same time. That's that's some heavy lifting, but there are lots of companies that really do go all in in this way and, and can be really successful and separate themselves from from others that are maybe not so successful.
0: No, yeah, I mean, I totally agree. Culture is definitely an indicator for success for a company. I um, you know, if you have great company culture, you're going to have um, higher retention rates, you're going to have happier, more productive employees, and you're probably going to be able to uh you know survive some of these larger industry issues um but you know I think it is interesting to approach these larger issues from a personal perspective or just from a from an internal company perspective um because really what it sounds like you're saying is these companies are taking these larger issues and putting them under a microscope and saying okay so we're having industry-wide an issue with, um, you know, an older generation retiring out of a lot of positions. We're having professionals that don't have the skill sets needed for these new jobs. And people don't really understand that jobs in manufacturing have completely changed. They're exciting. They're secure. uh, They pay well. And, you know, our company is a great place to do that. So I think it's cool to take these larger issues Put them under the microscope and then say, what can we as a company do to address these three or four or however many issues, but address them on a on a micro level, address them internally um, and then set an example for the rest of the industry. If you have an issue with an older generation aging out and you also have an issue with trying to convince younger generations to want to begin a career in manufacturing then boom you know you can focus on outreach community outreach speaking at colleges and high schools and maybe as a company creating some workshops to get interns in to uh to your company and get them excited about the career opportunities there so you know I think it's all about these smaller companies taking more initiative to try to solve these issues and not feel bogged down by wow this is something that you know, we need to get a coalition when, you know, everyone needs to come together and try to figure out how to solve this. Well, I mean, yes, but also no, as a individual company, you can try to address the issue internally. Um, and you know, if everyone did that, then the issue would be solved, right?
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'll, i give you a good example of how I, I see this kind of play out. It's that some companies in the manufacturing space may not be, uh, all that digital or have robots. Um, but they, they can rally their company around, you mentioned community. They can rally around community. They can rally around meaningful work. They Maybe there's something they're doing to change the world, uh, change the community. And done right, again, focusing on that and making that a core of the DNA of a company you know, creates uh, current employees that are pa- more passionate. Those current employees tell other people, uh, you know, the stories that the clients that you know, work with them, start telling those stories. I mean, it, there's a way to really um, harness w- what it is you do great. A, a lot of times, manufacturing companies will say, you know, Greg, we're not Google. You know, we, can, we don't do open spaces and ping pong tables and free food. So how do we, you know, really compete for that, that, in that world, where these are the companies that are out there. And again, I think it it comes down to finding out what's unique about who you are as a company. Um, making sure that you take care of your blemishes too, so you're not, you know, uh, pretending you have to be genuine in what you do. and and being proud about it and being loud about it and making it part of what's internally great, and it it and that becomes part of what's externally great. And so that that starts to keep you it, the internally great, keeps retention up. Uh the externally great, uh, you know, gets the people to say, hmm, that's I have never thought of working there, but it sounds it sounds fascinating. It sounds like they're doing great things. People seem to love it. And that's how you individually as a company really I think
0: supercharge some of this. Definitely. Couldn't agree more. So for these individual companies uh looking to bring in talent or looking to re-educate their workforce, um, what are some of the things that you've heard they're saying is missing from the conversation on an internal level? So though the industry is talking about you know, these big external issues or structural issues to the industry, what have you heard from the people in the industry, the ones working it day in, day out, um, you know, what are they saying is missing from the conversation from an internal perspective? You know, what are they saying maybe we should be focusing our conversation on this for each company?
1: yeah I mean, obviously, I think it it differs, but I, I think a lot of companies um struggle with the uh, the way in which they approach their their talent, their human capital. you know i I, I see a lot of companies that um they start their year uh, every year with a business strategy, and CEOs are involved in that. and almost every company has a business strategy. but Almost none of these companies have a talent strategy, and I think there are a lot of people in the HR world that will, that really push for a, a bigger seat at the table to, to bring and make talent more important. I think the C-suite oftentimes recognizes the importance of talent, but their their challenge is that they they don't know how to balance what they need with the talent with what they need to do with the business, and so that's one of the bigger struggles that I see a lot of internal companies faced with is they just it's not that they they value the talent, but they just don't know how to translate that value into tangible steps to to actually accomplish their business goals through their talent. So in other words, it's, it's it's not a clear blueprint. People are really complex and and they're they're in, unlike um, you know, marketing, for example, where you can read books after books that kind of lay out how to optimize your search strategy um, or how to increase your your leads, um, it's not as clear in the talent space. And so what I find is that a lot of these organizations just really struggle with the blueprint or the, the plan on which they should really execute around the broader issues with talent. And so for each company, those issues are different. In some cases it's more retention in some cases it's more productivity, you know, but that part is just very difficult for people to grab onto. And then from, for that reason, I think that it loses steam a lot and it never gets the kind of elevation focus energy that it, it that's required to really make that talent, um, these talent issues, you know, a strength versus an ongoing
0: challenge. Well, let's give the people a blueprint then. Um, You know, I think hearing from the expert and giving some tips based on your experience working with other manufacturing companies is going to be extremely helpful for our audience. So, Greg, I'm going to have you break down three things that you think a company could do to individually try to solve this shortage issue in manufacturing. So. Let's lay them out and we'll discuss why these three things you think could be very helpful and pretty across the board, great general solutions for manufacturing companies to try to solve this labor shortage issue.
1: Great. So the first place, and again, this is almost true of many companies, but I I feel like it's really important to highlight it is start with your leadership team. The the importance of having the right people on board that that meet the strategy that that are aligned um, that are working in conjunction to to not only run the business but run the talent side of the business is absolutely critical. Without it, everything else just doesn't work. So. You know, when I talk about that, that's about sitting in a room to start and figuring out who's in the room, where are they similar, what are their personalities, what are their competencies, what is, how does that match with the strategy, uh, how does that match with the culture that the company is trying to build? Um, and, you know, this doesn't mean replacing the leadership team, it, but it does mean at least getting highly aligned and highly aware of who's in the room, how things get done, and then really... Who, you know who needs to come on the team, or or at least support the team to to make uh, d- the dreams a reality. Without it, again, it, none of this other stuff ever really will get off the ground. Um, so start with the leadership team and get that right, and then you can move on to the next steps. And I and so moving on to the next step, step two, I think it's really about understanding the current state of the employee experience um, and understanding both what's going right or what's going wrong. And, and, you know, that has to do with understanding the culture, understanding how people feel about their managers, understanding whether people fit their jobs, and understanding whether people, uh, you know, really find that their managers are doing what they need to do. Those four areas, organization, the overall culture, the job, the people you work with, and the managers, all need to be thought of uh, and addressed both in terms of hey we're doing this really great let's let's really focus on this let's build this as part of our culture let's make sure we reinforce that but then you know fixing and trying to work on the issues that are slowing things down so sometimes it's managers who just don't manage Uh, beyond, they manage, but they don't focus on uh, helping people grow and develop, or they don't remove obstacles. If it's, if it's people, it could be trust issues. It could be poorly functioning teams. It could be silos. Those things, again, breaking them down, creating a more engaged workforce would be number two. And then number three is a little more about the day-to-day, and I I would call it, uh, you know, inspiring people to greatness. And that has to do with just defrictioning the environment, giving people more tools, you know, I would always start with the manager, giving the manager more tools to make it easier to manage their talent, to help them grow, to help them uh, perform at higher levels, to to help keep them around and understand what they need. Uh, to be successful. And if you, so if you do all three, you get your leadership team, right? You, you get, you understand what's great about your culture and reinforce it and fix what's going wrong, or at least focus on it. And you start to give people the kinds of tools to help them have better one-on-ones to help develop their employees. You, you really are moving towards a, a talent optimized culture where you start to see the, the effects of uh, exponential effects of how people staying around, being more productive, being more happy will will really push your company to be more innovative, more safe, more productive and all the things that you're trying to get. And those those are the the main three. And if there was a fourth it would just be now that you're doing that, you might as well hire more more right. Uh, sorry, you said three, but now that you're in the next place, it's okay, now what do we need to do to hire the right people to fit what we're doing? We know who our culture is. We know how our managers are either good or bad. So now let's start to focus and, and, and bring in new talent that's going to support our initiatives, our strategy, our talent blueprint, and go from there. So the first is designing your leadership team to meet the strategy, um, alignment, awareness, uh, focus, the second is diagnosing your organization's culture, how well the jobs, the ma- the managers, the people, and the organizational cultural issues are strong or weak and where you need to reinforce and and where you need to fix. And third is sort of, I call it inspiring, but it's really about uh, giving managers and, and all employees the tools to better relate, better communicate, break down silos, and work better together uh, or work better in their jobs.
0: Greg, have you seen any of those three applied in a unique way in the manufacturing industry specifically to try to solve their labor shortage issue, you know, having all these skilled positions open, but not finding the talent to fill them?
1: Yeah, I have. And um, obviously I'm not going to name names, but, um, you know, one of the companies that I've worked with, um, you know, it's not a very, um political it's not a uh, an organization that most people would find the work attractive uh, it's you know it, it's it's kind of dirty uh you know it's it's not very mechanical there's a lot of heavy labor um but you know what they've what they've done is really step back and say all right well um our company is is needing to grow um by by being more, um, you know, by providing better service, basically, and so we, they realized that to really, to really grow, they needed to provide higher quality products, so less defects and and better service, and that meant more quicker turnarounds on things. So, you know, they spent the time evaluating their leadership team. They realized that at the top that they had a group of people that were very focused on, um, kind of. Structure, they were very detailed and very structural, but they didn't really have anybody that was pushing. Uh, the the um, the people side of the business. So they were all really good about the technical side of the business, but they really weren't very focused on the people side of the business. So they they started to create new initiatives and and bring on a couple new people that uh, personality-wise and competency-wise were more geared towards thinking people first and giving them a bigger seat at the table. And from there, it just sort of started to flow. They were able to do. Um, some analyses to show that where people in in um in uh, plants where people were more engaged, they were more productive and had fewer safety problems. Well, once they saw that, they started to really uh, up their their focus on the things that were going right in the good plants and bringing them to the you know the less good plants. Uh, funny thing was is that in this case, some of the things weren't very higher order um they were things like the air conditionings didn't work well in some of the plants and it was just you know it was kind of a thing that people weren't weren't paying attention to and within a year of just focusing on something like let's invest in better heating and ventilation and air conditioning um they were able to see incre- improvements in 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 productivity and in safety, just from those little things, and that that came from the diagnosis part of things. And then, you know, they what they started to do was work on smaller ways to get managers to provide one-on-ones in a more structured way. They um, provided career guidance, uh, uh, tr- uh, coaching to managers to help them uh, not only have better discussions with their employees, but also to be more aware of of the kinds of opportunities in the organization. And really, that company went from being a fairly poorly engaged uh, company that not a lot of people wanted to work at, to a, a company that you know has has no problem filling their shortage problems today. Um, and I think the the last part of what it was is all of this was wrapped in meaning. Meaning the company leaders when they got together and they went through this process, they started to realize that what was super important was to have um, their their employees, their leaders, everybody rallied around. The, the meaning of how this company is, the vision the mission of this company as the focal point of why they were making changes, why things were great and and it became a rallying cry and and the people on the outside saw that rallying cry and said, "I want to be part of that too,
0: right, yeah, I mean basically companies are realizing they need to to be more populist <laughs> um, yep. and i I love that because. I think this younger generation, um, whether we're talking millennials or we're talking Gen Z, but this next wave of the workforce values different things in their career. Uh, you know, they're really looking for jobs that are going to bring meaning to their lives, that are going to, um, you know, not feel like just being a cog in a larger machine. You know, they want to feel like their position in the company has value and they have a voice at the company and you know they're crafting something of importance and so i think that focus um, is is really important because manufacturing often, I think, gets mischaracterized as an industry where most of the positions are just cogs in a larger machine, um, and that people are there to fulfill a task, and it's very technical, but it's very structural. Like you said, there's not a lot of room for creativity or for someone to find passion in uh, you know the, the piece of the process that they're working on, but... With a with a facelift and a, a restructure to the industry, uh, which is going to have to start with individual companies, I think we can change that narrative. Um, and it sounds like what the predictive index is doing, and the the advice that you're giving to other companies is right in that lane. It's you know it's time to restructure the culture at your company and find ways to make it employee centric. Give them a voice. Find meaning for them in their position and make it so that. You know they want to not only not leave but also find other people that now are interested in starting a career in manufacturing. So, yeah, it really does boil down to the culture, which I guess is interesting. You know, after all these issues which seem so structural, I really do think the the solution does boil down to culture,
1: you know it it's funny. i I use us as an example. I know we're not in manufacturing, but as a company, we're a 60-year-old company that was really, a, basically, had a personality assessment, a good one, but 60-year-old family-run company. And four years ago, it was 30 people, and you know, it was a place that was doing good business, but you know, had a, a very family-like feel, and and um we had new leadership come on and we determined we wanted to grow and we wanted to innovate and you know you you look at the steps that were taken we have a mission which is better work better world you spend almost half your life at work If you could make work a little better, the world would be a little better. And we started hiring people who thought that way. We we started um, you know changing around the structure to say it's okay to fail here, it's okay to take chances. Um, We have a you know a mission around that, and we're now from 30 people four years later, we're at 160 people, and we won some glass door awards as top places to work. And you know it was a huge cultural transformation that went from being you know what would be seen as more of a formal family run business to it's a Boston-based tech software company. And so when I look at some of the um the companies that I've worked with, one of my favorites was, it's not quite manufacturing, but it was a slaughterhouse. Um, I went and had to do a site visit. It was probably the most uh, memorable site visit I've ever done. It was brutal. Um, but in talking to the people there, I mean, they loved it there. And they loved it because it was a family. That was one of their cultural elements. They loved it because they were feeding the world. they They were behind the, you know, bringing great uh, product to the world to feed them, to stay alive. Um, you know, they they harnessed those kinds of images and those things and found the people that would would, you know love it. And they continue to just excel because in their niche, they found their culture, their mission, their their values and they and they didn't run from them. They made them their own and it and it's where they are today as a, quite a successful company.
0: I love it. You you learn from the best, which is yourselves. <laughs> you do. You take your own medicine. You know, I mean <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. it's it's not
1: always easy. I think the one thing is is it takes just like finance strategy every year, the amount of time that goes into business planning for a lot of these companies, it takes the same amount of effort. And so for us and for some of our our clients that are really good at this, I mean you you really have to give it a hundred percent or more. It takes putting talent on the board level discussions and making it a part of every management meeting and and, you know, opening up the discussions and and having the real hard ones about what's going right and wrong. It doesn't happen by uh, tactical steps. It it takes heart, it takes discipline, and it takes a lot of energy, but the payoff is big. And that's, that's what companies, I think, don't always get a chance to do. And again, because I don't always think they know what to do with the complex world of talent.
0: Yeah, it's definitely a minefield to navigate. But with the team at Predictive Index, I know your mission is, like you said, better work, better world. So those small steps, finding ways for each company to improve its culture, I think will contribute to larger structural changes for any industry, but specifically for manufacturing. So, again, Greg, thank you for joining us on the podcast. It was a pleasure getting to chat today and break down your thoughts on this labor shortage in manufacturing, but not just focusing on the issues, but focusing on what could the solutions be. We broke those down. I feel like we got some great insight from you, and I'm looking forward to getting you back on again soon. If people want to learn a little bit more about Predictive Index and about what you do at the company, where should they go?
1: Uh, They should go to the website, which is www.predictiveindex.com.
0: And again, the Predictive Index is the leader in talent optimization, and Greg Barnett is the Senior Vice President of Science at the Predictive Index, where he oversees the execution of the company's science agenda. That includes talent analytics, employee assessments, employee surveys, psychometrics, machine learning, natural language processing. He does it all. If you want to learn more about Greg, look him up on LinkedIn. If you want to learn more about the Predictive Index, head to thepredictiveindex.com. Greg, thanks for joining us on the podcast. It was a pleasure. Thank you, Daniel. It was great. Really enjoyed it. And thank you everyone for listening to today's episode of the fourth revolution. And if you like what you heard and want to listen to previous episodes, you can head to dot and you can click on the our company tab and you'll see podcast dash the fourth revolution right there on the main page. You can also find our podcast on Apple podcasts and Spotify and make sure you leave a rating and a comment wherever you listen to your podcast content.